Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Paul's letter, guys, his first letter was written to the Corinthians, okay? But it's written to a church community. We need to understand that, that, that he knew really well already. So he's writing this letter. I mean, can you imagine Paul's mindset? And he's writing to not just to people, but he's writing to people he knew, people he loved. And, and Corinth, if you recall, is a major part, right? It's a major port in the city, in the ancient worlds. And, and Paul's writing a letter, although there were many Greek and Roman gods all over the place, we understand that's a big economic center. So Paul strategically came here as a missionary. Now think about this, guys. He spends a year and a half here getting to know the people. Look what he's doing. He's telling them about Jesus. And as he gets to know them, you can imagine, right? A whole bunch of them say, whoa, what about this Jesus? They become followers of Jesus. Then they become a church, okay? It's the church of Jesus Christ here. And so that's kind of what the, this, the, the, the whole intro, but in order to fully understand why Paul would write a letter, okay? Now, again, think back for just a moment. He spent a year and a half getting to know folks. He, he, he knows them. It's not just, hey, you know what? I planted this church. I saw you guys. I preached to you. I didn't get to know you, and I'm out the door. He's not. He's, he's walked with them, and he's done life with them. And we need to go back just a little bit to Acts chapter 18 so we can fully understand his missionary journey and where, how he ended up in the city of Corinth, okay? So Acts chapter 18, we're going we're gonna to see that, and this is going to kind of give us an understanding of what happened before Paul writes the letter. You guys with me? Give me a good amen if you're in Acts 18. Picking it up in verse 1, here's the story, right? It says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Now, I need to stop right there for just a moment because I don't want to assume you know who Paul is. Okay, Paul, you go like, Paul, I've heard of that name. If you remember in Acts chapter 9, there was a fellow by the name of Saul who was on his way to persecute the church on the road to Damascus in Syria, and God showed up in a major way. There was a bright light. He, was, he could literally say he was blinded by the light, right? He heard God's voice. He saw the risen Lord, which makes him an apostle, and so then he changed his name from Saul to Paul. And so Paul is now a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Now, let me say this to you, okay? The one thing that I hold on to in the scriptures is that when people meet Jesus for real, their lives are changed. Their lives are changed. Paul went from Saul to persecuting the church. He was sending, guys, can you imagine? This is what Paul would do in your life. You'd be sitting at home. You'd be on your lazy boy recliner, and you'd be sitting there watching TV, right? A bag of Doritos next to you and a cold pop, and all of a sudden you get boom, 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 a knock on the door, and you go, oh, no, it's Saul, and he would drag Christians off to prison. That's how he would persecute the church. He was trying to stop them, and all. then he gets saved. And now all of a sudden, he's on the other end of, of seeing converts. Well, this is the same Paul a few chapters later, chapter 18. He's on a missionary journey. He's planting churches. And it says, now, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Everybody see that? If you're taking note, guys, Corinth is about 50 miles away from Athens. So Paul's hanging out in Athens. He's talking to the people about Jesus, and he goes to, I guess we could say Plainview. He, he, he left Lubbock and went to about Plainview. That's about 40 miles, give or take a few. And so think about it. In your mind, you're going, oh, yeah, I passed by Plainview. Okay, so that's where Paul goes. Okay, so as Paul goes, notice he's going to plant the church. He found a certain Jew named Aquila, born of Pontus who had recently came from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. So now you've got two people. You've got, you've got Aquila and Priscilla, okay? They're, they've come from Italy, but remember, they're Jewish. They're Jewish. Why? Because Claudius had commanded that the Jews depart from Rome. And so he came to them. So Paul, first and foremost, finds a couple of friends, and they're Jewish. He's like, okay. Okay, what's, what's, what's going to happen? Verse 3, so because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. Tent makers. Now, when I say tent, maker, tent makers, the first thing that comes to mind is we think they build the little tents that we go camping in. 
Okay, that's the first thing I thought. But when I went to Israel, we went to actually there in Caesarea and we saw this amphitheater. And what the amphitheater would, it would face the sea. But when the sun was real hot, it was just unbearable. So what Paul would do is he'd make a tent kind of covering, an awning, if you will. And this is what he would do. He would fix them and he would make this and, and him, right? Him and, and Aquila and Priscilla, this is what they did. So they kind of hooked up and said, hey, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a tent maker. Oh, I'm a tent maker. Why don't you hang out with us? Guys, the custom of the day was such great hospitality that we miss it today. When we meet people, we go, hey, how you doing? What do you do for a living? Oh, good to meet you. And then we just kind of go on. They kind of stayed together, okay? So you're Jewish, I'm Jewish, right? And that's what they did. Now, Paul says, okay, his mission, his mission is really simple. Here's what I want you to catch. In verse 3, it says that he was of the same trade. He was a tent maker. Everybody got that? But his mission in life is in verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. What's Paul's mission? To share the gospel, to plant the church. You see, that's the thing that Paul said. Paul said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a tent maker. I'm going to make a living, but that's not my mission. My mission is to go out and tell people about Jesus. My mission is to, to go out and, 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 I mean, that's what he's talking about here. And it's like, wow. And you go, well, how can I apply that? Here's the thing, guys. Not everybody is called to stand behind this pulpit and preach the gospel full time. I get that. But every one of you have a tent making job. A tent-making job is where you earn your living and what you do and what you like to do. But your mission in life is to tell people about Jesus. Now, that might be at your tent-making job. Because, again, you'll have people in your, in your jobs who won't go to a church. Not yet. But as they see you and you begin to talk to them, you begin to share. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. So our tent-making job, that's, that's what he is, a tent-maker. But he's reasoning in the synagogues. Okay, everybody got that, right? He's trying to persuade both Jews and Greeks. So there he is. He's trying to do this. Now it says, it kind of skips. It says, when Silas and Timothy, a couple of buddies, had come from Macedonia, it says, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews, everybody see that, to the Jews, that Jesus is the Christ. So Paul begins to pray, and he's going, okay, what do I need to do? So he begins to minister to the Jews. He's compelled by the Spirit. Now, I want you to underline that in your Bible, and you go, why is that? Because, guys, even though that is our mission, we need to be Holy Spirit-sensitive when we're about to preach and reach other people for, the, for Christ. We need to be sensitive. We need to go, Lord, is this... You, I feel like you're putting this in my heart. I need to, and we need to be sensitive to be able to go up to somebody and go, you know what? I feel like God is wanting me to say something to you. I feel like God wants me. We can't just, how so? Well, here's the thing. One day I was at, I was at this group of pastors meeting here in Lubbock. And we got up and we used to pray and there was about six or seven of us and they were not all pastors. Some, some servants would come too. And there was a man and bless his heart. This man was up there and I remember, I remember sitting up there and we began praying. And you know when you get a tickle in your throat? I mean, it's nothing bad. You just got, <coughs> and I remember it's just, <coughs> as we were praying, I started coughing, a little bit of choke, a little coughing, okay? That was it, <coughs> just like this, right? But, but as we, as him and I rode the elevator down after the prayer meeting, he looked at me and said, Pastor, I'll pray for you. You sounded like you were sick. Felt like you were sick. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, bro, that, I'm, that was just a tickle. I just swallowed wrong. That wasn't me being sick. But he took on the assumption, because I was coughing, that I was sick. Pastor, your point. Guys, pray and be compelled by the Spirit so that, so that you understand what God wants you to do as you approach people. And so he's compelled, right? He's compelled. He's got, he's got Silas and Timothy. He's compelled by the Spirit. He's going to testify to the Jews. What's he going to testify? That Jesus is the Christ, the Christos, the anointed one right there. Verse 6. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So you see what happened. He began to try to reach out to his own people. And his own people, notice what it says, guys. 
it says that they opposed him. Oh, come on, Paul. And they're getting really upset, and they actually blasphemed him. Paul, what is wrong with you? And, and so it's a hostile situation as he begins to witness. Now, the Holy Spirit said this. Now, there's a purpose, is there not? And so Paul goes, okay, 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 all right. And he says, your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. I've told you. He says, from now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. Now, I wonder if Paul was thinking what was written in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, right? Do you remember what Jesus said? He says, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls before swine. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. I wonder if he was thinking about that. Why? There have been times in our lives when we share the gospel lovingly, and you know people are, are, will be ugly towards you. And, and, and you just think, man, I can't, I can't share with them. They, it, it, could it not be family too? Family as well. You're sharing and you listen, I want to share my heart. And they get blasphemy, they get ugly, and it gets hostile. And you're like, okay, all right, I understand where you're at. We have to be sensitive to that, guys. As much as we want to see them in the kingdom, there are times that you don't want to cast your pearls before swine so they can trample it and turn around and, and attack you. And you know. And we respect people and we honor people. If they say, hey, don't tell me about this Jesus, then you know what I do? I just live it in front of them. I just live it. But they're going to know who I am. They're going to know what I believe. But if they're like, hey, you keep that Jesus and they get hostile, okay, 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 okay. What we need to realize is that there are people out there that are going to, what, what's that church, that are not going to receive what we say about Jesus. They're not going to. And then there's people in your family that are going to reject you just for the sake of just, it's just, you're like, wow. And so we have to do is we have to go, okay, you know what? I'm going to share the gospel with those who really want to hear. I'm going to share the gospel. So what does Paul do? Look at verse 7 of chapter of Acts 18. And he departed from there, and he entered a house of a certain man named Justice. One who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Now, that's crazy. That's amazing, right? So he says, okay, okay, I'm just... And he goes to this house, and I like this, because, because I think we should be a justice, don't you? And you go, why? Because it says, one who worshiped God. And I just think it's neat, because his house was next door to the church. Not, not the church of Jesus Christ at this point, but it was the Jewish synagogue. And so he says, yeah. And it says... Then Crispus, okay, so you got Justice and you got Crispus, right? It says Jewish, remember Crispus is Jewish, he was the ruler of the synagogue, and he believed on the Lord with all of his household. So now you've got a born-again ruler in the synagogue, and many of the Corinthians hearing and believed and were baptized. Now, here's what you want to do, guys. At this point, you want to say, this is the birth of the church. Paul comes into the city. He begins to tell people about Jesus. There are many that go, yeah, 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 even those in the religious establishment. Now, here's the point. The point is that we need to go after both those who have no clue who Jesus ever was and be so careful. Church, we have grown up so much in the Word of God that you and I know the Word of God, and there are people out there that have no clue what, who, who, who Jonah was. They have no clue who Daniel... Do you remember Daniel the lion's den? And they're looking at you like, not a clue. We have to be sensitive to that because there are those people. And then we have to reach people who have grown up in church. They've grown up in church. They know the Bible. They might even know it better than us, but they don't have a relationship with God. Why? Well, Joe and I were talking about that this morning. There is a difference between having Jesus here and having Jesus here. There's a head knowledge. There's a lot of people who have, a, they know a lot about God, but they don't know God. They don't know God intimately. They don't know God personally. And so what happens is they've got a head full of knowledge. Amen. Praise God. Let me tell you, deep theology. But they're never in here. And it never affects them. And so it's so important, guys. And we could see this. So you've got Crispus, and you've got Justice, and you've got Corinthians in hearing, believed, and they were baptized. That's going to be key, right? Underline that, because you're going to see there's going to be some divisions later on. Okay? They were baptized. Now, verse 9. Now, the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Here's what he says. 
Do not be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you or hurt you. For I have many people in this city, unquote. Now, I love that. Why? Right. Church starting to grow. People are starting to get saved. Now, let me back up. How do people get saved? By the word of God, the gospel, the good news. Okay? They get saved. Paul comes in. They believe. They were baptized. They're, uh, they're preaching the gospel. Well, Paul's a little freaked out. Why? Because he's actually been blasphemed. He's actually been attacked. He's actually going, wait a minute. And so he, he needs some encouragement. And then in verse 9, God comes to him in a vision, and he says, "Here, hey, Paul, yes, sir. He says, don't be afraid, but speak. Don't keep silent. Why, Lord? For I'm with you, and no one will attack you or hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Guys, if you're a note taker, I want you to notice the command in verse 9. This is a command. Paul, don't be afraid. But speak. It's a command. He's not saying, hey, here's a suggestion. No, Paul, this is what I've asked you to do. Don't be afraid. Speak. Don't be afraid to speak. And that's a great command for us. Guys, don't be afraid at your job to speak. Don't be afraid. He says, he says don't be afraid, guys. I'm with you. Speak. Tell the truth. The problem that we have, guys, as a community and a church and a city, guys, is that we, we do it obnoxiously. Let me tell you about you. You're, you know, and we try to beat people over the head with the Bible and with our, with, our, with our knowledge. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, speak from the heart. Just tell people how much God loves them. Just tell them what God has done for you. Tell them what road you would be on had you not given your heart to Jesus. This is what you just share. Just share with them. This is where we would be. This is where we would be. And then I love that God comes back in verse 10 and just encourages us. First, he gives us command, and he says, I am with you. No one's going to attack you or hurt you. That's great encouragement. Guys, listen, when you speak, when you go out to work tomorrow, know that God is with you. No one's going to hurt you. No one's going to hurt you. No one's going to attack you. Nothing can happen to you unless it goes to God first. And if it goes through God first, and he's okay with it, then amen. Amen. You guys with me? Amen. Well, Pastor, I, I have a question. What if what if I am? What if what if what if there's things in my life that I mean somebody does, maybe not in a physical way, but what if in an emotional way or something I just feel attacked or I feel broken? Broken. Do we ever feel that way? Do we ever suffer with brokenness at times? I think we all do, don't we? I want you to think about this story. There was a little boy, about four years old, and an older brother, about 13. And the little boy, they were at the fairgrounds, and the little boy was whining and crying, and, I want this, and, and they, they passed a glow stick stand. You know what a glow stick is, right? It's, it's really cool. It's, it's a glow stick, right? Well, all of a sudden, the mom bought the little boy, the little four-year-old, a glow stick. And immediately, the little boy stopped crying. And he's swinging it around and everything, right? Until older brother got a hold of it, pulled it off, and he said, Mm-mm, let me show you. Little brother started crying and, oh, look, you took my stick. He goes, no, no. And he breaks it, because that's what you do with a glow stick, right? And then it just shines bright and oh. And I was just like, wow. What was the point? The little boy, the older brother wasn't trying to be a jerk or anything. What he's doing, he's saying, listen, sometimes you got to be broken so you could shine brighter. So you can actually have the purpose that God intended for you. And the, and the little boy, see, he was content with just having the glow stick just by itself. It's a little bit yellow. It's just a little bit. He goes, no, 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 watch this. And it lit up. And I think, guys, we need to understand that in our lives, that there are times in our lives when we will be broken, Father filtered first, but it's only for the purpose that God intended for your life so that you could shine brighter than you ever. Listen, we'll be content to just be this, us. And God's not, no, 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 no. Adam, I made you far better. Watch this. Oh, God, that hurts. Ah, and he's like, no. And then all of a sudden, it's just shining. Lord, I didn't, I didn't know that was in me. I didn't know that was in me. The Lord says to Paul, Paul, don't worry about it, bro. Don't listen. Don't. Here's the encouragement. I'm with you. 
And no one's going to attack you. No one's going to hurt you. Verse 11. And he continued there a year and six months. Notice this, guys. Verse 11. Teaching the word of God among them. Do you guys see that? Why is that important? I want you to underline verse 11. Because I want you to see that this is the teaching ministry of Paul. The teaching ministry of Paul. And here's what I want to point out. I'm going to make this point and move on. We all love a good preaching. We all love a good inspirational, amen, go get them, guys. You guys, are, you guys are champions. God loves you, blah, blah, blah. I love that myself. But if I'm going to build a house, if I'm going to build a house, I really want a solid foundation. I need a solid foundation. I need a strong foundation because I know the West Texas winds, and I know what can happen here. And, and so Paul says, listen, I'm going to spend a year and a half at Corinth, and I'm going to lay the foundation. And that's what we do at Calvary Chapel, guys. You're going to see that part of our core values are here, but you need to understand that every week that you come here, you're laying a foundation for your life because the winds are going to come, and they're going to try to blow stuff up and all of this stuff, but you're going to have the solid foundation. This is what he's doing. Paul could have came in and said, I'm going to evangelize everybody. Everybody gets saved. Amen. And three months later, he's out the door, but they wouldn't have the foundation they need to grow as a church. And remember, your life is being grounded on the foundation of the word of God. That's why we do verse by verse by verse by verse. And we, and we go through stuff that you go, Ben, other churches won't go. That's boring. It's not boring. It's, it's getting you the foundation. So you go, okay, now I can put up walls. Now I can put up windows. Now I got a roof. It's going to be great. But you got to have the foundation. You got to have the foundation. And that's what Paul does. He comes in. He continued for a year and a half teaching the word among them, teaching them, teaching them. Then it says in verse 12, when Galileo, a proconsul of Achaia, all you can write here is this is the governor of Greece, right? He's the governor. Galileo is the governor. The Jews, notice, with one accord, rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. This is known as the Bema seat. This is the judgment seat, okay? This is the Bema seat. This is known as court, is court. Okay, let me just take a break. Let me, let me just talk to you over here for a moment. When we die, there's two courts that, that's going to happen. There's the Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, and then there's the great white throne. If you don't know Jesus, you will go to the great white throne judgment. And that's just basically you're guilty. Depart from me. I never knew you. But as believers, we're going to go to the Bema seat. Okay. You're going to be judged. We're going to be judged. I thought we weren't judged. I thought we were under grace. No, we're going to be judged for, for our walks with God, with our, our lives and our thoughts and, and, and what we say. And okay, Lord. And he's going to say, okay, the things that you did, did you do them with the right motives? Or did you do them for X, Y, Z motives? What did you, what, why did you serve? Why did you serve in that church? Why did you give? What did you do? And, and it's the Bema seat. And so... We get it from here, so you see that now, all of a sudden, think about it, guys. All these Jews, they're mad. They're mad at Paul. And in one accord, they say, okay, we got a problem. Let's take him to court. Well, what's, okay, what am I being charged of? What's the charge? Look at verse 13. This fellow, Paul, persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Okay, here's what I want you to write. They're accusing him of the law of Moses, not the Roman law. This is the law of Moses. And I started to think about this morning, church, and I started to think, I don't understand. I started thinking of the Ten Commandments, right? The law, the very law of Moses. And they're saying, no, this guy wants us to worship God apart from the law. And I bet they're thinking, right, the, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And so Paul comes and says, Jesus Christ is God. He is Lord. And they're going, no, 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 there's only one God. It's blasphemy. And so they're, they're, they're super excited to, to take him to court, right? And I get that. And I'll tell you why. Because before I got saved, I remember going to, um, I remember going to get my hair cut, right? And I remember seeing the sign. This is before I got saved. This is, I remember seeing the sign and it said, Jesus is Lord. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's the sign. And in my heart, I'm going, mm-mm. You know, so I knew Jesus is God's son, but he was not God. Because I, I hadn't, my, the scales hadn't, I didn't understand yet. I wasn't saved. And so I could see me fighting going, you can't say Jesus is Lord. 
No, God is Lord. He's Father. And then he's got his son Jesus thinking how? Biologically, you know, the whole, the whole religious way. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I go, oh, but then I got saved. I was like, oh, he is Lord. He's God. He's three in one. Amen. But these guys are doing the same thing. We're going to take him to court. Why? Because, and, and so it's like, he's contrary to the law, the, the law of Moses. And when Paul, verse 14, opened his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, whoa, hold up. If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason that I should hear this. But if not, it's a question of words and names in your own law. Look into it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. So the governor, Galileo says, hey, this is on you. I don't have time for this. If this was a, a matter of Roman law, if this was a crime, I'll handle it. But this is, this is you. This is your law. This is your spiritual law. Get out. That's what's going on. Now, verse 17. Then the, all the Greeks to, took Sosthenes. Sosthenes. Now, we're going to see him next week in chapter 1. Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him before the judgment seat. Wow. But Gallio took no notice of these things. Guys, in verse 17 is where Sosthenes, our brother, becomes a believer. Right here. And listen to this. Being a Christian back then meant you were persecuted and even beaten. And even beaten. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine walking out of church today and going, hey, I'm a believer, you know, and you're just a follower of Jesus. And people say, no, 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 no. The religious establishment take you aside and say, you better stop. You better not be a Christian. Can you imagine Sosthenes getting beat up for his faith in God? I'm like, wow, wow. So where do we go from here? Well, that's the end of the story of Paul's journey. He establishes the churches, right? So after Paul spends, guys, a year and a half in Corinth, he moves on to start other churches in other cities, except one thing. Paul keeps getting reports that things are not going well back at the church of Corinth. You see, Paul would come in, he'd set up the church, and then he'd establish leaders, and then he'd move on to somewhere else. Well, he's getting reports, okay? And he's saying, things, things, aren't, things aren't good. He says, man, the church is being plagued with all kinds of problems. And this is why Paul wrote the letter. This church was in a mess. It was in a mess, okay? Now, before, you can say good, go ahead and say goodbye to Acts. Let's, let's go over to Corinthians because I want you to make notes on there. Before we jump in, I want to give you some in-depth background. I want to I set the stage, guys, and I want to give you some good stuff, okay? Let's talk about the city before we talk about the church. What, what's this city like, okay? Paul's writing the city. And let's just kind of compare it to our city, okay? The city of Corinth, now I'm, just, I'm not going to go real in-depth, but you can kind of get the gist, okay? And you go, well, why, why do I need to know about the city? Because every week when we go through the teaching, guys, you'll, you'll, you'll have this context to go, oh, now I know why Paul is writing this. I get it. Okay, okay. So we know that Corinth, guys, is a port city. It's a port city. If you look at it on a map, it, you have to go through it. If you didn't want to sail through very rough seas, you'd go through a port. And they made that specifically on purpose, right? Why? Because then everybody came to Corinth. Everybody came. And, and here's the thing, guys. There were, it was a very wealthy commercial center. I mean, if you were going to go on vacation, where would you go? You'd go to Corinth. It's kind of like this, right? Like, let's say you're from Post, Texas. Nothing wrong with being from Post, okay, a lot of us. But if you had your choice to go on vacation to Dallas, Texas, or Lubbock, where would you go? I'd go to Dallas. It's a big city. It's got all kinds of stuff. We want to we wanna go to, you know, uh, we want to Six Flags. You guys see the point. It was that kind of thing. And so Corinth was like the big D of Texas. I mean, we're going to go there, Motor Speedway. I mean, it's got country music. I mean, we could, we could spend all our money in Dallas. Well, that's kind of Corinth, okay? It was that, I mean, people from all over the world would travel to Corinth. 
Corinth was controlled with two major harbors, thus commanded trade routes from Asia and Rome. So you got people everywhere. Now, again, the Roman character was all is basically throughout the city, and it was reflected by the many names, the many Latin names associated with, with it in the New Testament. Like who? Well, you got Aquila, you got Priscilla, you got Crispus, you got Lucius, Gainus, Tertius, Erastus, Quartus, Fortunus, and Acacius. So you got all of these names. Now, if you're pregnant and you are looking for a boy name, I've got a bunch right here. So don't sit there and go, I don't know what we should name him. Well, here, here you go. Let's name him Lucius. Let's name him Crispus. We'll call him Chris. Sister Tiffany's looking at me right here. and We got a couple that are pregnant here. If it's a girl, we'll find some for you too. Okay, sister, we're okay. I love the names in the Bible, right? Because they're just like, right? Let's name him, you know, Quartus. Quartus is a cool name. Quartus Wilkins. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay, anyway, going on. Corinth. The city, guys, also boasted, check this out, it boasted of an outdoor amphitheater that accompanied 20,000 people. It was, it, was the, it was second only to the Olympics, only to the Olympics. So, so they had huge concerts and, and events at Corinth. The population, if you're taking note, guys, Greeks, Romans, Jewish, and even Orientals lived in the city. So you had a slew of everybody. You go, Ben, that sounds like a lot like our city. Exactly. Exactly. Except... In Corinth, they had the great temple of Aphrodite. The great temple of Aphrodite. Which boasted of a thousand prostitutes. And the way they funded the temple is every day those thousand prostitutes would descend on the city and have sex for money. And that was their way of worship. You want to worship at the temple of Aphrodite? There you go. A thousand prostitutes, guys. That's what they did day in and day out. So the morality or immorality, should I say, of the city is just is out. I mean, immorality was rampant. And you you could just have a great time. You can have a great time. If you went to Corinth and did this thing, here's the term. It was called Corinthia Zomai. Corinthia Zomai. And it meant to practice fornication. To practice fornication. So, oh, you're going to Corinth, huh? Okay. Thumb, yeah, sure, buddy, yeah. Corinth was also a wet town, guys. In other words, it had liquor stores and booze on every corner. This, what? What? Check this out, guys. Check this out. The city was coined. Corinth was noted for everything sinful. I think, I think in our video it mentioned the Las Vegas of, yeah, it was, it was the, can you imagine? It was the Las Vegas of, of Paul's, Paul's going to Vegas, man. He's going to Vegas. And he, and he established a church there. Well, what was the church like? Well, let's say goodbye to the city. Let's talk about the church. It started like many other churches Paul planted. He came in, he spent time there, he preached in the synagogue as well as the open square. He heard people, right? The God, he heard the gospel and they came to know Jesus. Paul begins his teaching ministry. And when Paul leaves the church, they go through major problems. Major problems, okay? As we make our way through this book, church, we're going to see what God has to say about such things so that we can apply them, okay? Now, here's what I want you to take notes. <sighs> 1 Corinthians is broken down to five main parts, five main parts along with the final greeting, okay? Five main parts, and you want to put them at, okay? Now, these five main parts correlate with the five main problems that Paul is addressing. He's going to address five main problems, okay? So what's the, what's the series called? Messy Church, but there's, we're going to see that there's five main problems. Chapter 16 is just his final greeting, okay? So... Here's what I want you to jot down. Here's what Paul does in each section. In every section, he'll define the problem or he'll describe the problem, okay? 
this is what's going on. He's going to let us know. And then he's going to respond to that problem with the gospel message in love. He's going to come back and he says, okay, well, here's what the word says. Here's what the gospel of Jesus Christ says, but he does it in love. And you're going to see that. Paul lovingly shows them, hey, Corinthians, you're not living what you say you believe. You're not living. I'm going to describe the problem and I'm going to say, hey, this is, this is what's going on. This is what's going on. Right? So the letter, guys, is written for us. Why? To think about every area of our life through gospel lenses. Okay? We've got to put on gospel glasses in every area. In your life, in your marriage, in your events, in every decision, it has to be filtered through the gospel so you can say, oh, this is how it affects my life. That's what Paul is doing here. Okay, so what I want to do with the remainder of our time quickly is go through the five problems, and I mean quickly, and then the solutions that Paul gives, and I just want you to make note of this so that when we go through them, you go, okay, I know what he's talking about. I know what he's talking about. It will help you verse by verse. You guys ready? In chapters one through four, chapters one through four, we discover that there are divisions in the church. There are divisions in the church. Oh, really? Yep. Here's the problem. There were some other teachers who had come to Corinth. We know that Apollos had come to Corinth. We know that Peter had come to Corinth. The problem was now they're starting to divide because they begin to pick their favorite teacher. There's nothing wrong with that. Except they began to talk bad about the other leaders and the people who had followed that leader. That's the division. They're starting to go, well, you know, Pastor Ben is okay, but you know who I really like? And the problem is, is that if you said, well, I like so-and-so, I like this pastor, well, then what I would do is I would talk bad about that pastor and the people who actually went to that church. And Paul's going, that's division, guys. Well, you know, Paul, you, you, you were okay, I couldn't really look at you teaching because, you know, you were short and you had a crooked nose and, and I just, I couldn't get into it. So I like Peter. Peter was radical. Peter was crazy. I really like Peter. And, and, and so you guys see the division and let's, let's just bring it home. It's like us saying, oh, well, don't go to that church because I don't like such and such pastor. And if you're part of that church, you're not even really saved. You'd go, Ben, that's silly. We would never do that. Well, that's what's going on. That's what's going on. Now, there is a difference between warning somebody of somebody who's not teaching the full gospel and who's a heretic. Hey, please, I'm your shepherd. I'm going to try to guide you as best I can. But if my brother down the road is teaching the Bible and I meet you, we're brothers. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You serving Jesus? I'm serving Jesus. You love God? I love God. Amen. Amen. Listen, there's only one church of there's only one church in Lubbock, Texas. There's only one. We just happen to meet in different barns. You guys know what I'm talking about? We just happen to meet in different barns. We gotta be careful with the division. So what does Paul do? Here's his response. The church, he says, is a community of people, listen to me, centered around Jesus, not man. Can I get an amen? Why is that important? Because, guys, if your pastor goes nuts and he blows it and he sins, your walk is not based upon me. It never should be upon man. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I've been through this with, my, with, with a pastor that we liked and that we followed and we were there. And people left the church. They left God because of the pastor. And may it never be. You're not here for me. You're here for Jesus. You got it? And if one day something happens to Ben and he's not here, whoever is behind here, you're still here for Jesus. You're serving Jesus. Am I getting through? Because that's what's going on here. And so there should be no divisions. He says, Paul says, we're all simply servants of Jesus. Let us not divide over being servants in the church. Stay focused on Jesus. That's what he says. You with me? In chapters 5 through 7, Paul addresses uh, uh, some problems related to sex. 
can you imagine? You go, Ben, of course. Aphrodite's there. They're having sex everywhere. He says, yes. Here's the problem. There were a number of them sleeping around in the church. Paul's like, oh. And one guy, check this out. One guy was actually sleeping with his stepmother. (laughs) You're like, dude, that sounds like Jerry Springer. I know. But Paul's like, no, 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 no. And see, others in the church were still worshiping at the Greek temples and Greek gods, and they were actually going with the prostitutes at the temple of Aphrodite. And not only that, check this out, but there were people in the church that said, it's fine. It's all good. See, because we're free in Christ. And so people are like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. This is people. You go, Ben, 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 Ben. That sounds like a lot like us today. I go, I know. This is Corinth. So what does Paul say? Paul says, let me just say this right. It's not fine. It's not fine. With the gospel in hand, he shows them that this is the wrong way of thinking and behaving. He points out to them how Jesus died for their sins and ruined its causes through sexual misconduct. Broken lives that happen through affairs, fornications, and immorality. It destroys. Paul says it's not fine. Jot this down. Paul will be super clear as a follower of Jesus, that's us, that it involves no compromise when it comes to sexual integrity. There's no compromise. Paul says, "Mm -mm. mm-mm, mm-mm. And it's not that he's laying down some, some massive rules, guys, but he's saying it hurts you. It destroys. We can't have it. Think about this real quick. I got to hurry, but think about this real quick. Can you imagine being married and your husband saying, I don't think there's anything wrong with me going to worship at the temple of Aphrodite and sleep with the prostitute. You know what your wife's going to say? That's not going to fly in my house. Well, I'm worshiping. You understand that. This is how I was brought up. He goes, no, we're believers now. That's not what we do. Something has to change. And that's, I mean, just think about it in that, in that sense. Well, moving on, because I've got to hurry. In chapters 8 through 10, guys, as we go through, the issue of food is going to come up. Food, okay? But not like just do you like food, but food that are sacrificed to idols. Food sacrificed to the Greek and Roman God. Now, there was a split between Jewish and non-Jewish Christians about how they should respond to this issue. Paul responds and says, let's go back to the Scripture. And it appeals to what? To some core ideals in God's word. First and foremost, Paul tells us our allegiance is to Jesus first, not other gods. That's what Paul says. And here's the idea. Paul says, if we, we need to love people more than food and not cause a brother or sister to stumble. If eating steaks cause a brother to stumble, then your allegiance to Jesus has to be stronger and your love for people more than that steak. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, listen, and you guys, now again, we're just talking about food, but think about how we could just wrap that with everything else. Here's the underlining. Paul says, listen, listen, you got to love people more than, than what you're doing because it can cause a brother to stumble. And you go, okay, but the balance is we're also free in Jesus to have a stake, and it's not a bad thing. And so we can't let people label us that way. We have the whole book of, of Galatians that says people were starting to label, well, you shouldn't eat that, and you shouldn't do this, and you should worship on this day. And he's like, no, we're free. We're free. Let me use this illustration, and I'll quickly move on, okay? If you invite me to your house and you like to have a glass of wine with your pasta, and you invite Pastor Ben and his wife over, and you you get out the glass of wine and say, would you like a a glass of wine? You're free to. You're free in Jesus. If you invite Pastor Ben over to your house and you feel like you have to hide it, then you know you might want to just check your heart because we're free. You, You understand that, a glass of wine. Now, if you say, Pastor Ben... Let's just say this. I'm not because I have to be careful with the radio. But let's just say that I'm a recovering alcoholic and I don't like to be around that. And you invite me to your house. You need to love God more and say, Pastor Ben, I know that you've had an issue with this or would it be okay? Or you're not even bringing it out at all. 
It doesn't mean that you're not free to have a glass of wine. That's who you are. Amen. But we don't want to cause somebody to go back into that. And people will do that. People will do that. Am I free to have a drink of wine? Am I free to have a glass? Absolutely. But I won't have that if it's going to cause you to stumble. You see, and the way I learned it is I'm free to have a glass of wine and I'm free not to. It's okay. It's okay. And that's what Paul's trying to get at with food, and we'll dig more into that. And here, here's the core principle. You ready? Love. That's why I had you put it. It's love. It's love. And guys, we can apply that to every area. Food, we can have it with, with, with alcohol. People are, I mean, we could have that with relationships. It's all about love. It's all about love. Then in chapters 11 through 14, Paul addresses the same problems as their weekly gathering. Their weekly gatherings. And in some of their gatherings, they were really powerful, right? And it was just like, wow, spiritually, the Holy Spirit would fall. And others, they would, be, they, would, they would feel like they have a word from the Lord and come and interrupt the meeting. Hey, hey, you know, and Paul says, okay, hold on, we got to talk about this. He says the, the gatherings, the weekly gatherings is a place where God's Spirit should be working through everybody and it should be happen, happening in a unified way. Here is where Paul talks about the church as a human body, as one, but different parts. So in other words, he says, listen, we're all one body, but we all have different parts. Not everybody's a mouth, somebody's hands, somebody's ears, somebody's a nose. You know what I'm saying, all different parts. This is how the body moves forward. Here's what we believe at Calvary, guys. The person standing behind the pulpit is preaching God's word. We don't have people go, hey, well, I have to ask a question. We believe at this point that's the Holy Spirit who teaches. Now, afterwards, you could go, hey, well, I have a question about this and so forth. But we never like to interrupt the teaching of the Word of God, and I'll tell you why. Let's think about it, okay? You're sitting there, and you've had a long day, and God is really speaking to you. And all of a sudden, here's what happens. Somebody gets up and goes, "Ah, I don't, you know, and they try to interrupt. And all of a sudden, you're distracted, and you miss what God has for you. When we started this church, guys, the one thing we said is, is, and you'll notice in your bulletins, um, please remain seated once the teaching has begun. Try to minimize distractions, okay? It's not that we want to keep you here going, I need to go to the bathroom. I could go, oh, Pastor, hurry. (laughs) That's not what we're saying. But what we're saying is, check this out. If Robbie over here got up in the middle of the teaching, walked around, every one of you is going to look this way. And, and whatever I'm saying, you're not even hearing anymore. It's like, I wonder where he's going. What happened? Huh, maybe he just needs to go there. And then you'll look. And that's just how we are. We're just, okay? And so we have to be so careful. Why? Because the teaching that you need, the word that you need, the, the, the encouragement you need is going to come at that right time. And the enemy of your soul is going to go, oh, let's nudge him to get up and go. Guys, we call it the penalty box. Anybody know where the penalty box is? It's back there. Why? Because, again, we want to keep distractions to a minimum. That's all. That's all. And you go, Ben, so so I better go to the bathroom before church? Yes. But if you have to go, it's okay. Nobody's going to beat you up. But what we're going to do is let's just be careful. You, you understand that, right? And because Paul says, okay, listen, listen. Wow. We're one. We're one. And again, the key phrase in this chapter, guys, is the building up the body of Christ in love. And again, it's a teaching ministry. Last problem that Paul addresses in chapter 15, it's the issue of Jesus' resurrection, okay? Our future hope of being followers of God. Now, there were people in the church, think about this, guys, that contended that there was no resurrection, and so Paul's going, I hear that you guys are talking. I, I preached the resurrection. I told you Jesus was alive. I told you, but they're going, no, 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 no. So Paul reacts to this big time. And he says, the resurrection, listen to me, is an indispensable part of the gospel. You can't take that away. It's an indispensable part of the gospel. He says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then his death was meaningless. And what Paul tells us, he goes, guys, listen, if this is true, Paul tells us that we're lost in our sins and we should stop being Christians. Amen? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what are you doing here on Sunday morning? What are you doing here? We should be at the golf courses, out at the lake. I mean, if Jesus didn't rise, I mean, what are we, what are we, what are we wasting our time at church for? And Paul says, no, 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 but he did rise. 
And that's why you're here. And that's why you're here. Paul said, man, Jesus' resurrection was victory over sin and death, and it's the source, listen to me, and power of, for life over us. It's the promise of a future hope for the whole world. The resurrection church is our hope for unity in the body, integrity in a sexual world, power to love people back to life, and victory over death. That's what it does. That was the fifth problem. And then in chapter 16, he says goodbye. He says goodbye. So let's close. Let's close, okay? I've given you five. Five major problems that Paul deals with. And what I love is that you could put them in your Bibles and you could say one through four, five through seven, all the way through. Now, I want to leave you with two thoughts. Two thoughts, okay? The gospel, Paul always goes back to the gospel. The gospel, guys, listen to this is an announcement that opens up a new reality. You go, Pastor, what do you mean? Here's what I want you to see. The gospel, it's more than good news just to be saved. It's good news for everyday life. It's good news for everyday life. That's what it is. From Paul's letter, number two, from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we learn this. We learn that transformation of life is possible by loving obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we learn. So Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we learn that life is transformable. How? By love. Love and loving obedience to the gospel. I'm excited, guys. Next week, we jump into chapter 1. It's a messy church, wouldn't you agree? It's a messy church. Divisions, sex, food, gatherings, and the resurrection. They're messed up. But Paul's going to show them. It's all right. I'm going to point you to Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the truth in your word. We love you so much, Jesus. We thank you and we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.